Brothers and sisters, these are the ties that bind us. Sometimes brothers are little more than strangers. Sometimes sisters are bitter rivals. Sometimes brothers and sisters are best friends. And anything in between. In our passage today, Matthew introduces us to two pairs of brothers. These brothers are going to become central characters in his gospel. Often inseparable from one another, they're going to become the core of Jesus' team of disciples. So it's not surprising that I ended up thinking about my sister when I was preparing for today. We're very fond of each other, although we do lead fairly separate lives. But we've actually been spending a lot more time together recently um, because we've been helping my parents sort out their flat. And this has involved clearing out a lot of junk. My sister, who's a keen painter, has rescued dozens of blank canvases and watercolour pads, hundreds of tubes of paint, and possibly thousands of paintbrushes. She says she can hardly move in her studio, which is a shed in the garden. It's been quite tough for my father to get rid of all this stuff, but he isn't able to paint anymore because of his deteriorating eyesight. But to be honest, most of these brushes and tubes of paint have never been used. They're blank canvases. He hasn't actually ever painted very much. He just liked to collect all the kit and to watch TV programmes about painting and to read magazines about painting and to talk about what he was going to paint when he eventually got round to it. It's quite funny, but it's also a bit sad because um, as my sister and I were talking about this, we decided that the reason he's never started, well, rarely started a painting, never finished a painting, is because he's actually afraid of failure. He's afraid of what other people might think, that they might think he's not good enough. Why would he want to take the risk when his imagined paintings are always perfect? His brushes are always clean, and there's always drawers full of tubes of paint, carefully colour-coded to organise and admire. We asked ourselves, is this fear of being found out as not up to the job, of being judged by others, universal? It was getting quite late, and we were getting quite philosophical. And we discovered a fundamental difference between us, my sister and I. My sister said, yes, the fear of failure and judgment is a constant battle for her. And, she assumed, for everyone. I was astonished. She's a professional senior engineer who travels the world. I said, no. And then I was a bit worried that I might be a sociopath. So getting back to Matthew, I've actually always struggled a little bit with this passage, specifically verse 12. And this is because in the version that I have grown up with, it says Jesus withdrew to Galilee. So I looked at various different translations, and that is actually a very common translation, although interestingly, 
the version that David wrote this morning said returned. And I've always felt that withdrawing sounds like he's heard about John being imprisoned and he's a bit scared, so he's gone back to Galilee to be safe. And it's always left me wondering whether he started his ministry slightly on the back foot. And there's more to my discomfort with this passage because when Jesus calls these two pairs of brothers, everything is so hopeful. But I know, I've read the end of the book, I know what's going to happen. I know what they don't know yet. I know the troubles they're going to see and the cost of that call. Andrew, who John tells us introduced Peter to Jesus, doesn't actually make it into the inner circle of three. And he doesn't even get a mention after chapter one in Acts. Peter later spectacularly denies Jesus. James is one of the first to be martyred in the very early days of the church. And John is the only apostle who survives to old age. But maybe that's because he was exiled for a substantial part of his life. But coming off the back of my conversation with my sister, I thought, who am I to make these sorts of judgments? Who am I to count the cost for others? And who am I to think, I've never really liked this passage in Matthew? Maybe I thought the problem is me. What am I bringing to this passage that is preventing me from hearing God in it? So I've gone back to that problem word, withdrawal. What thoughts and emotions was that evoking in me? Well, I think it comes back to teenage years of reading Jane Austen and now living in Bath with its elegant withdrawing rooms. I think the word withdrawal has spoken to me of seclusion, of women being kept away from the interesting and dangerous things in life. I don't instinctively think of the Israelites withdrawing from a town that they're attacking to lure the enemy out. I don't think of a strategic action for a well-defined purpose. But what if I did? After all, Jesus has just come out of the wilderness where he's been wrestling with the devil. He's not going to be scared of Herod and going back to Galilee for safety. And, as we heard this morning, other translations don't render that word withdraw. They say returned. And the other gospel writers say various similar things. Mark simply says he went to Galilee. Luke says he returned. And John says he decided to leave for, which is a very positive thing. Matthew isn't really saying anything different. All that thought of hiding away was in my head, not actually in the passage at all. This is a strategic withdrawal to the place where the campaign will truly start. You can think of everything prior to this as the preliminary skirmishes. Obviously, Jesus must be saddened by the news about John. But this news is also a sign. The sign that it's time for Jesus' ministry to begin. The prophet no longer needs to tell the world that the Messiah is coming, that the kingdom of God is coming. The Messiah is here. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. John's time is over. Jesus' time is come. And Jesus doesn't go home, does he? He goes to Capernaum. And he returns to Galilee, Matthew tells us, because the Father has promised through Isaiah that this backwater is the place that a great light will dawn. God doesn't judge places or people the way we do. And it's certainly not a chance meeting on the seashore either. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus has already met Andrew and Peter before he decides to go back to Galilee. He knows where they're from and goes there to meet them, to call them, the men that the Father has given him. And the Father knew their destinies, even if they didn't. He knew their characters better than a brother. How they would fail and fail again. How and when they would die by the sword or crucifixion. Or become so old and weak, after many years in exile, they would have to be carried to church. But the Father doesn't judge people the way we do. He doesn't measure by failings. He measures by following. The two pairs of brothers were never viewed as successes in the world eyes. In fact, they were judged to be bad, mad, and dangerous to know by many of their contemporaries. But they didn't care. They only had eyes for Jesus. And following him was enough. And following Jesus is enough for each one of us, too. It will look different for each one of us, just as it looked different for Andrew, Peter, James and John, and Mary Magdalene, and Lydia in Philippi, and Priscilla and Aquila in Rome. To love God and love neighbour is for all of us. But beyond that, it's not my place to tell you how Jesus is calling you to follow him. That's for you to pursue with Jesus yourself. When Peter asked Jesus what would happen to John, Jesus said, what does that matter to you? You just have to keep your eyes on me. So, as I think about my father, I pray that he would remember he has a father in heaven who shows his love to his children by forgiving their failures not condemning them. Maybe one day in another place, he will create paintings like the ones he currently only dreams of. And next time, someone, particularly someone I love, tells me they struggle with a fear of failure and judgment, I pray that I might be a bit better prepared to share why I don't, or not as much as I used to anyway. Because when it comes down to it, I don't worry that I'm a failure, because I know I am. I don't worry what people think of me, because I know I'm probably a lot worse than they think. Because I know that before I even knew him, while I was still lost in my sin, Jesus laid down his life for me. So when he says follow, that's what I try to do. And as we follow him together, we become 
brothers and sisters. Called to be different and to do different things, yes, but also called to travel together and to encourage each other along the way. And as we travel this way, we pray that our love for one another will show people something of Christ. How he doesn't measure us by our failures, but by our following. And how despite all our many failures, and sometimes, I must admit, our rather half-hearted following, he loves us with an unconditional love that will never, ever let us down. That is a saviour worth following. Amen.